Stay hungry, stay foolish. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other thing, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. I have a dream. We one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. Hey there, listener. Thanks for stopping by. Before we get the podcast started today, I just wanted to tell you about my Patreon. If you're interested in supporting the podcast and donating some money, all you got to do is go to patreon.com forward slash K-I-P-P-O-D. And there's three separate tiers there where you can get exclusive content, ad-free content, and you can even suggest questions for me to ask future guests on the podcast. So guys, make sure to check out my Patreon. Also, make sure to share this podcast on your social media accounts, link it to Spotify, review it on Apple. I would very much appreciate that. So thanks, guys, and enjoy the episode. Recorded. Okay, so go ahead and tap one more time. All right, we're good. Hello, and welcome back to the Knowledge is Power podcast. I'm your host, Max Willett, and today... Drum roll, please. We have an awesome guest, Joe Veely. Is that how you pronounce Veely? Uh, Joe uh, has had a company called Liberty Rentals, and he's now working at the South County Chamber of Commerce. And uh, Joe, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Hi, Max. Uh, Joe Veely, um, Southern Rhode Island Chamber of Commerce. I'm yeah. the executive director. Uh, been there about a year and a half. Um, I've been very involved with this chamber for decades. Um, and chambers in general. So my my business, Liberty Rentals, had three locations, f- and we did business all the way from the middle of Connecticut to East Bay up to, you know, Kent County. Um, it was uh, event rental, tents, tables, chairs, lighting, that kind of stuff, uh, and construction equipment rental. Um, at one time, we belonged to seven different chambers of commerce, and I will tell you that my observation has been no two chambers are alike. Some are purely tourism chambers, and that they have a they have a place. There's definitely a, a place for them. Uh, some are more diverse. Uh, of the seven that I belong to, Southern Rhode Island Chamber of Commerce was one of them that I had a very good relationship with. I felt like my investment of time and money to that chamber paid dividends for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I was on the chamber board for 14 years, um, left about two years before I finished my business, um, and really was about another year before I was going to transition out of Liberty Rental, and uh, the executive director, who was a, just a great person, I was on the board that hired her, Elizabeth Berman, uh, was uh, moving on in her career and the position came open so I applied for it and went through the um, interview process and was successful Um, so and then six less than six months after I take the job probably four months after I take the job COVID hits Mm -hmm. you have to pivot Um, but some of uh, I, I addressed one group shortly after uh, I became the executive director, and one of the things that I pointed out, and I think this is a, a big factor, um, it's unusual for a chamber executive director to be 
uh, a business person. Not that they're not in the business world, but to actually be the owner who's, you know, making budgets, meeting payrolls, that kind of stuff. It's so you, it, it's it's unique. It's and I always say business people aren't better, but we're different, right? When you have mm-hmm. to Sunday night say to yourself, "Okay, payroll's twenty five thousand. I need it by Wednesday morning." You just become different. You act differently. Um, and again, not better, not worse. You just learn how to navigate differently. Um, so I think that that actually helped when COVID hit because I was used to pivoting, right? We, um, I worked in that business for 45 years. 19 of them I was in management. 26 of them I owned it with a partner. Um, we lived through the banking crisis in 1990. We had to pivot overnight. All business in Rhode Island stopped when the credit unions closed. So that sort of experience of living through multiple recessions over my business career prepared me in some ways to flip when COVID hit and become not just a way to help you promote your business, but to help you survive and navigate the grant process and all the government programs that were available. We had to learn them and then advise people. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had a lot of members doing the same thing and there was interaction. They helped us and we helped them. And um, So good news. I mean, if we're going to talk about the end of the story first, yeah. <laughs> um, good news is all the numbers are looking good on COVID. I mean, I looked at a report this afternoon. Yesterday's infection rate in Rhode Island was under or just at 1%. It hasn't good. been that. I mean, when it was the worst, it was around nine or 10. Yeah. Um, vaccinations are about 40% of our population in Rhode Island is fully vaccinated. Mm-hmm. Restrictions are sort of being lifted off businesses. And the next key trigger or step, I think, is going to be how comfortable is the general public to then go sit in a dining room that's three quarters full? Mm. Um, I will tell you that my experience over the last couple of weeks is we're ready, we're willing. Oh, yeah. Uh, the general public is anxious to do it, but everybody has that little bit of carefulness there. Yeah. There's definitely people that will probably be like that for a while, yeah. and the people just never cared. There are people who think that, you know, nothing should have been done. And, yeah. Um, I mean, I, I'm not saying that I disagree with that line of thought, but if we hadn't closed commerce down and the general public that felt no threat or was able to go out and the ones who wanted to be careful could be careful uh who knows how differently uh we would be now yeah we may be in a may have been in a better position by now but it's one of those things it's like you just don't know it's never happened before right so it's like it could be this one thing could be another way you don't know which would work better right so i mean it's different in different states so you just look at the evidence there and you can make your own opinion on that. But, uh, yeah. So why don't we backtrack a little bit? I mean, if you want to talk a little bit about your life, you know, where you're from, did you go to college? What'd you study and things Um, like that? Okay. So I'm a native Rhode Islander. Okay. Uh, moved to Southern Rhode Island when I was uh, 17. So, you know, fairly young, just sort of finishing up high school. Um, and, uh, held a lot of different jobs. So some of my background is my f- my family has always been in business. So my 
folks always owned at least one or two hospitality type establishments, restaurants, cocktail lounges, that kind of stuff. And then a service business for the restaurant industry. Uh, so um, mostly selling, uh, buying and selling restaurant equipment. Um, so I always say I, before I was old enough to work, I always had multiple jobs. They just didn't pay because mm. everybody in the family worked in the business. Um, and then, you know, when I got to paying jobs, um, besides having my family that gave me sort of a business background, I had some mentors on the way. So I had a restaurant that I worked for when I was young, under 16, and I stayed there for three or four years. And um, the owner of that restaurant sort of took me under his wing and showed me a little bit about what it was like. And I always knew that I wanted to be the business owner. So, and as I said, that was drilled into me from my folks. If you have the option, that's the, mm -hmm. that's the road to take. Um, and then when I got the job at uh, Liberty Rental back in 1975, which actually was Taylor Rental back then, um, again, that was a person that I worked for for 19 years. Uh, he was a mentor. He showed me a lot about all the aspects of business, the yeah. accounts payable, accounts receivable, how to meet payroll, how to, how to interact and, and treat your help so that they feel valued and um, they, it, it's a pleasant place to come work. Um, and then, uh, so from, from there, uh, when we first bought the business in 1994, um, we had a, a business coach that we met with every two weeks for over 20 years. Um, Dick Heron from HR Associates. Um, Dick was invaluable. Dick made us set goals and monitor them. And by meeting every two weeks, it kept you on task. It meant that you, you know, we used to say sometimes I didn't do the homework until the day we knew it was coming. And Dick would always say, well, that's fine because you knew I was coming. Mm -hmm. I wasn't coming you wouldn't do it today either so um, so over the years and then have had some very key um, employees that were just um, there was an education in there for me too so my coach said to me one time like second year as the business owner he said uh, you don't know how to delegate and if you don't delegate you won't grow and so after about a year at one of our annual wrap-up meetings, I said, you know, absolutely, you, you showed me that I needed to learn how to delegate. Uh, I did. My fear always was that they were not going to do it the way I did it. And I was right. And some of them did it better than me and did it in a way that I wouldn't have done it, mm -hmm. but got a better result. So um, I think I've always been receptive to sort of who, who can I learn things from on my path as a business owner and then um, take advantage of that, capitalize on it. Yeah. And, um, and you know, owning a business is long hours. That's a six day a week business on the construction side. It's absolutely a seven day a week around the clock on the event rental side. Um, many times I've been into Eastern Connecticut setting up lights around a dance floor at 1130 on Saturday night because the wedding's tomorrow and mm -hmm. it has to get done. So it, you learn hard work and you, and you also learn that it's got to be done, right? There's not an option to, if you're going to be successful, you have to perform.
Yeah. Um, yeah. Cool. I'm sorry. If you could just move the mic a little bit closer. Yeah. I don't. Sure. Yeah. That's all right. Um. But yeah. So when you first, I mean, what were the? So was this restaurants before Liberty Rentals? Um. Uh. No. It was restaurants. It was gas stations. It okay. was anywhere I could make some extra money. I worked. Okay. In, um. I worked in a grocery store. Yeah. You know. Cool. A- uh, any any kind of. I needed a paycheck. Yeah. So yeah. did did you go to college? So my uh, my LinkedIn profile says college. What a week that was. No, I did not go to college. Uh, I was the typical uh, case where I said I'm going to take one year off and then took out a car loan and could not live without a paycheck. So I never went. Huh. You know, it's funny because I literally just had that experience two days ago because I'm contemplating whether or not to stay in college or not. And I found a car that I really liked. And I'm like, I want to buy it. <laughs> Uh, it will, it has the potential to really change the outcome. Now the outcome for me, I think was good. Could it have been better if I had gone to college? Maybe. Yeah. Um, well, it's funny cause I had, uh, my first guest said, uh, sure you could learn things in college, but it's mostly about who you meet in college and the relationships you built. Uh, not only through friends, but professors. And if you want to have your own business, a lot of those professors have a lot of connections. Yeah. And he said that, um, but so do you, would is Liberty Rentals like, was that like your bread and butter? Was that your most successful business? Yes. Um, okay. Yeah. So what was, I mean, the biggest hurdle, like when you had the business and you really started being successful with it, what was you, the biggest challenge that you faced? Um, well, I don't know how, to, I don't know how to put this out without sounding a little funny, but I enjoyed what I did so much. I didn't really view any of it as a challenge. Um, there, there may have been bumps, like sometimes you have uh, labor shortage problems or yeah. sometimes you have, uh, but, but then you found the solution for that. And sometimes that meant you got on a truck and you delivered, you know, 200 chairs to a middle school graduation or whatever it was that you were doing. Uh, you, you found a way to solve the challenges all day, every day. But if you really love what you're doing, it's really yeah. enjoyable. <laughs> That's awesome to hear. Yeah. Cause I read the book called the E-Myth yep. and it really talks about that a lot about the technician, the manager and is there entrepreneur? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I found that book really interesting and it sort of highlights that a lot of times a technician will go and start his own business or her business yeah. and, just dislike it because what they love became work right. and yeah. to do what you do and enjoy it is really cool. Um, but yeah, so actually, uh, something about what's going on right now, uh, in terms of, you just said, uh, labor shortages, mm-hmm. that's yeah. huge right now. Um, and I see, especially a lot of people through BNI asking for employees and they can't find anybody. Right. Yeah. So I don't know if, if you want to talk about that a little bit. What do you think your the so, solution is to that? Yeah, so my perception is, and I'm talking to a lot of different people, right? So I'm on certain uh, Zoom meetings that are with, you know, Commerce RI or they're with um, a, another s- division of the state or sometimes it's through um, the Chamber of Commerce Coalition and there's discussions about this in almost every group I'm in. The perception seems to be that the problem is because 
of COVID, the government has made it sort of advantageous to not go to work. Um, and it seems to be a, the biggest hurdle seems to be in the hospitality industry, although now we're seeing that the service industry, like landscapers and, and those people uh, that do especially seasonal uh, service, uh, they're seeing the crunch too. And I mean, I can identify with it. I have had time when in my business where labor was short and you just couldn't get enough bodies. Um, but I, I hope, and I think I'm right, but I hope it's a short lived problem. I hope that, um, I, you know, people want to work. People, people don't want to stay home and just collect money. Mm -hmm. Most people want to work. They want to, you know, have a purpose and earn their living. So I think, and I might be right, it's a short term problem, but for the people who are in it every day, (laughs) Yeah. It's a long day. Yeah. So if you're, uh, I heard about a restaurant the other day that's opening one or two days a week now because they just can't find enough help. Wow. Um, I did, uh, a bright note, I happened to pass somebody in a parking lot today that I knew who's in the restaurant business, and he said, I'm having no no problems finding help. Wow. So I, is it because we've turned a corner, or is it because that might be a better place to work i mean there's always that theory too that you know if you can pick and choose you're going to pick the best place that fits yeah um so i hope it's short-lived because uh so much especially uh in the tourism industry depends on it yeah well it's, it's weird because i have i i hear people say you know i can't find a job and then you literally drive for 10 minutes and you see a million help wanted signs and it's yeah so both things can't be true exactly and I think it's definitely the people who say I can't find a job. It's like, no, you, you're just lazy and you don't want to get one. You know, it. it yeah, both things can't be true. Yeah. I, I, when you're saying that, I immediately think of the. Um, I'm not a big TV guy, but the Doctor Phil episode where he interviews the person on his left side, then the person on his right, and he goes, "Okay, one of you is lying." Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, both things can't be true. Yeah, it, it's crazy, um, but as uh, you know, used to be a business owner and now working in commerce. What do you think? Uh, I mean, other than the the labor shortage, what do you think is the biggest challenge? Challenge other than that, and especially turning the corner of COVID that you've seen throughout consistently throughout other businesses. Yeah. So the two biggest things, and I this is not dramatically different pre COVID or when I was in business, but I think the two biggest things that I hear the most uh, from people in business, both things have to do with the interaction with the government, right? (laughs) So whether it's permitting or licensing or permission in general, because that's what a permit and a license are, they're permission, Um, whether it's that or whether it's, you know, taxation, um, any almost any interaction and I find that the people who have the most interaction with the government have had to learn how to deal with that so for instance if you're in the business where you have to deal with a certain department in the state you you figure you have figured out how to deal with that Mm -hmm. it's the people who don't deal with it every day right so I guess if you're a surveyor who works with DEM every day you know how DEM works and you figured out how to deal with it 
but if you don't work with the, I don't know, Rhode Island Division of Taxation mm. every day, and then you have an issue that you need to resolve, it's a challenge because it's a whole different, I don't want to say a different language, but sort of a different mindset. Well, it's definitely interesting because Rhode Island doesn't have the best track record for that sort of stuff. And so then the question is, is that perception or yeah. truth? And yeah. then some people tell you perception is truth. Yeah. <laughs> if if I feel like you're giving me lousy service, you're giving me lousy service, whether yeah. you think you are or not. But um, yeah, so you're right. The, the track record is perceived to not be good. And it's on all levels, right? Federal, state, and local. Yeah. And there are... I'll use the example when COVID first hit, there were um, meetings with the local government by Zoom to sort of say, what can we do to make it easier for the hospitality, the restaurant industry? Mm -hmm. And after a couple of three meetings, um, the discussion finally went to, well, you've given us a proposal that would give us dining and public parks. That's not what we want. We really just want you to make it easier for us to do business. So for instance, in the town of South Kingstown, what they did is they took what could be a three to six month process to, for a restaurant to get permitting for outdoor dining. And they guaranteed them a yes or no answer in 72 hours instead of three to six months, which is exactly what the business community was asking for. Not get out of my way, but just make it easy. Right? Mm -hmm. And if the answer is no, we're going to tell you quickly, do these three things, and the answer is yes. And if the three things are you need, you need to put up concrete barriers in the parking lot so a car can't drive into the dining area. You can you do the math. It's five or six or $800 for the box, and you say, okay, I'll do it. And so that's an unusual behavior. COVID made, made the government flip into being... I hate to say user-friendly, but more friendly. That's interesting because um, I've definitely heard the opposite in some cases, but it, it's so weird because it's, it's hit or miss on everything. It's just a real, like, I don't really know the way, any, other way, any other way to describe it other than it's weird. Like, I, that's well, the first time so, I've heard that. So I'm giving you specifically yeah. one municipality. Yeah. That listened to the business community over a couple of three weeks mm -hmm. and said, okay, all right, we hear you. Here's what you're asking for. We'll give it to you. We'll mm -hmm. figure a way to make this happen. I can't tell you that happened in every community. Yeah. And I know that, you know, at least the public's perception is they're reluctant to go ask for permission. And they'd almost rather ask for forgiveness. Just do it and then tell you, uh, I didn't know the rules. Okay, tell me what I have to do. Yeah. <laughs> Not everybody does that, but Yeah. Well, but but you know it's in the back of everybody's mind. They don't want to walk through those doors. Definitely. Cuz it in my experience, my I've had a business for a little over a year now. Yeah. Um with the uh, division of taxation in Rhode Island is it all depends on who picks up the phone. I think uh sometimes you get somebody who's really good and honest with you and somebody else who's like almost sounds like they're trying to take as much money as you as possible. And it's weird. I mean, I've said weird a lot so no, far, I, but I hear you. Yeah. And I'll get, just give you a tip of what I did over 30 years ago. When I got that good person on the phone, I got their contact info. Yeah. And that's who I called until that person either got promoted or retired. Yeah. Because 
you're getting a straight answer. You're not just getting, uh, you know, what they want you to hear, what they think they want you to hear, or, you know, it's not a good time to take the call. So they'll rush through an answer, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, I will say most of the interaction I've had with local and state government has been good and fair, Mm -hmm. but I know what you're talking about. Um, yeah. So, Years ago, I found somebody good at the Division of Taxation because we deal with contractors all the time who say, I'm working on a government job and the stuff that I'm renting is tax exempt. And we call the Division of Taxation. The guy picks up the phone. He says they know it's not tax exempt because it has to become a part of the building to be tax exempt. I mean, that's the answer I got 20 years ago. I don't mm-hmm. know what the answer is today. But the equipment they use to do the job is taxable. Yeah. But I got a straight answer. Right. Yeah. And, and it sounded like they knew what they were talking about. They weren't just rushing me off the phone. Yeah. Um, so do you do you think that the restaurant in- industry was definitely hit the most by COVID or because that's what I hear. Like every time you hear you, you go on social media, you hear how much they screwed restaurants. Yeah. Well, they certainly were hit hard. Yeah. But you can't deny that, for instance, before. Uh, hotels in South Kingston started renting rooms to URI as yeah. room space. Before that, they were at such a low occupancy rate, they were hit hard. You can't deny that the health clubs were hit hard. Who's hit hardest? That's that's kind of hard to tell from outside. You know, mm-hmm. obviously you're not looking at somebody's books. Yeah, and you can see that. Yeah, the business is off eighty percent, and I wasn't able to cut expenses that much, so. I lost this much money in quarter two or whatever. Yeah. So certainly the restaurant industry got hit hard, but I think anybody in hospitality, so restaurants, accommodations, uh, even sort of um, side businesses like amusements, right, water parks and that kind of stuff, that's sort of if nobody's staying in the hotel and nobody's going in the restaurant, guess what? No one's going to ride a go-kart or go to the water park or mini golfer. Yeah. So – there's sort of this uh, ripple effect. I, it's it's hard to say. We certainly do hear from the restaurant industry a lot that yeah. they were severely impacted. Well, when you when you take your dining area and tell them you can only serve 25% of what you used to, the best you can do is 25%. Halfway through all that, they closed their bar areas. Mm-hmm. I mean, you didn't transplant more customers you took people who used to sit at the bar now sitting at a high top table right yeah and now you've taken that high top table out of your inventory of the 25 percent. yeah so yeah there were some things that hit the restaurant industry harder and and margins in the food industry are already incredibly low so it's like i definitely heard it from a couple different food cost utilities labor right yeah that's i don't know the number is it 90 cents out of every dollar i don't know yeah. No food costs are somewhere around thirty. Yeah. So. Uh, so my hunch is, yeah. I mean, then you tell them you used to have a hundred seats. Now you can serve twenty-five people. Yeah. I mean, how do you, you, you turn on the utilities to the to the stove and to the grill, and your cost for that day is the same, if you sell twenty burgers or two burgers. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm curious to get your opinion. Uh, so there's a lot of different businesses in South County or Washington County yeah. or South County. Yeah. What business do you think uh, definitely 
changed the most on how they had to market and sell their business? Um, do you think it was restaurants or was it a different industry? Um, uh, so if we start down the list from the other end, like what businesses did, what seems to be, again, without looking at their books, yeah. I can't answer. Yeah, 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 what yeah. seems to be okay in spite of COVID would be, you know, grocery stores, liquor stores. Um, the curbside dining helped the restaurants a lot and the deliveries. Um, but probably the most, uh, your question was the most impacted. They're like, they, they, they changed the most. Changed. And, and for the better, in a way. That's a loaded question. Yeah. But that's I'm that's just a tough one because I, is it retail? I mean, I don't know what it's like to be, you know, a small retailer selling ladies' clothes. Yeah. And certainly the last thing on anybody's mind from last March to last Christmas was, what am I going to get dressed up in? Yeah. Right? Yeah. So... They had to see their sales not dramatically impacted because the customer wouldn't come in, but dramatically impacted because the customer didn't need to come in, right? The professional yeah. person who needed a, a suit jacket and a pair of dress pants didn't need them for nine months, mm-hmm. right? They were yeah. doing Zoom dressed from the waist up. <laughs> yeah, just like that commercial guy's not wearing right. pants. Exactly. It, yeah, it's it just, it's, I, I actually, I mean, enjoyed is a bad way to put this but i actually i was interested in seeing how different businesses pivoted and had to change because of covid yeah and in in some ways actually made businesses better uh because now you'll see a a lot of companies that uh, were very old-fashioned are now technologically up to date yeah because of covid they were forced into it exactly they were forced to learn it yeah and 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 unfortunately it was a good thing that that happened to their business because once things get back to quote unquote normal, if that ever really happens, right. um, they'll be ready for it and they'll, they'll be adapted. And I think that's a good thing. Um, especially, you know, restaurants that didn't do curbside pickup or even right. pick up at all. Like they right. do it now. Right. And, and or outdoor dining. Exactly. I mean, they've become great at it. Yeah. Or as I, as I, as I like to put it, uh, outdoor dining inside because it's tented up. <laughs> some, yeah, some of them are. Yeah. Some aren't. I mean, you go to some of them and there's an umbrella over the table and guess what? Yeah. On a rainy day, that table's empty. Yeah. 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 But like, I mean, you see like Elena's down here, like their whole back deck is heated and yeah. it's closed in. And it's like, is it really outdoor seating? Yeah. But I but mean, there's a, again, if the infection rate comes down and the comfort level is up. Yeah. That works. Yeah. Cool. Well, um, All right, guys, we'll just take one quick break. It'll be instantaneous for you guys, but we'll be right back. Alrighty, and, oh, sorry. And we're back. So uh, the first question I just wanted to ask you now that we're back. Uh, In the beginning of the podcast, we touched on college a little bit. Uh, So I wanted to get your opinion on, uh, you know, the value of a college degree in modern society. You hear a lot of different things. You hear... Middle class people saying you have to go to college and there's really no other choice. It's a great backup plan. And then you have people like Elon Musk who say, wait, you can always go back. If you think you have a good idea, stick with the good idea. So 
So, yeah, so my own personal experience of first, I want to address that you used the term modern day. Yeah. And so I did it to my kids. Yeah. It wasn't an option. They had to go to college. So the the real push of, um, you know, people in their 20s and 30s or 40s to push their uh, their children into college is because they want better for them. Right. Mm -hmm. So n now I think your question is, is it better? And your answer was, it can be, but it isn't necessarily. Yeah. So I'll give you my own personal experience. I don't think that I lost, but I'll never know because I didn't experience it. I don't think I lost much by not going to college. Um, but I do know that I picked up a lot of real life experience that is invaluable. And I probably would have never learned in college. Not all of it anyway. Yeah. And some of it. Some of it I had already picked up working in a family business. Mm -hmm. right? You just see different things, right? You or I should say, you see things differently. Um, but I, as as far as college, again, I'll never know what I might have missed or might not have been uh, been able to take advantage of. But I do know the real life experiences were pretty. It's a pretty long shot that I would have picked up that experience with a four year degree. Yeah, yeah. I mean. There's nothing beats experience, really. Thank. Yeah, I mean, I had a great example of it. Uh, I was golfing with some one of my friend's friend, who's a marketing major, and I was like, "Oh, I'd like to talk marketing. You know, I have my own business. I'd love to hear what you have to say about it." And I would say things and be like, "What? Like, what's yeah. Google Ads? What? Like, oh yeah, I know word of mouth. Like, oh really? That's good." <laughs> it's like. Yeah. But. So, um, boy, something just popped in and popped right out. But uh, when you were talking there, uh, the 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 real the real life experiences. So I used the example for years. For instance, all restaurants buy their food pretty much from the same companies, right? Mm -hmm. So when you walk away from a restaurant and say that was a great experience, it was the same food. What was different? So it's the experience, right? It's even if it isn't the atmosphere, it's the way you were treated. So you say the same thing in my rental business. We all rental companies buy their equipment from the same reps and suppliers. We all have the same backhoes, uh, excavators, you know, water pumps, dewatering pumps. We have all have the same product. What's the difference? It's how you walk away from that counter feeling like you were treated. So in in business and your example you just gave to me was somebody who had the book knowledge but not that that sort of intangible element that really makes for success mm -hmm. right that's that's a big thing that you can't you can't touch or feel right you can't touch or feel why and i'm being real careful not to name a restaurant here <laughs> But you know there are restaurants that you go in, when you leave, you go, man, that was great. Those people really wanted to see me, mm -hmm. and they were kind of sad to see me go. Yeah. It was a good meal, but I can say that about the five restaurants I, pos I passed to get here. Mm -hmm. right? So that's true in any business. I think it's true in any business, even if it's a service industry and you're the plumber, right? Don't talk to the guy like he's an idiot. Yeah. Don't make them make the noise the toilet made. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. 
But if he needs an explanation, explain to him how you fixed it, how you treated no matter what business it is. I think that's, so that's the differentiator. In almost any business, you get your product that you sell from the same place as your competition. Mm -hmm. The difference is how you made that customer feel when they were finished. Now, it was real hard in the rental business because you didn't get to keep what I sold you, right? Yeah. I did a great big wedding in your backyard, and I took all that stuff back, and I kept your money. Mm -hmm. Now, you didn't pay what it was worth to buy it, Yeah. but you paid a lot of money. Yeah. So that's even different than intangible because you could touch what I sold. You just couldn't keep it. Yeah. So the bride, her mother, the bride's father, if everybody left feeling uh, like it was a good experience, I almost don't have to advertise. They're it for me. Mm -hmm. They'll tell three people how good we made them feel. And it's, it's a similar situation. So in the event side, it's different, right? When we do a wedding for the bride and her family, that's a new experience for them. I've done it a thousand times. So I have to kind of walk them through it. The other sector of that business that was very good or very big was the professional. So if I were able to get in with a wedding planner, a caterer, even someone in the entertainment industry who could refer me, I might get 30 jobs a year from a caterer. We learn how to treat each other the first job. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, and that's a lot of extra work at 30 individual weddings. Um, so, again, I think what it comes down to is we all have the same stuff. I don't care if we're a restaurant, a liquor store, a grocery store. We all have the same stuff. It's how you leave and how you feel. And I think that's where you find the more successful businesses because their customers market them. Mm -hmm. So that brings us almost perfectly into our next topic, which is marketing. So uh, I've mentioned a lot in past podcasts that uh, word of mouth is king and probably 90% of business. Um, do you agree with that statement and what marketing worked for you in Liberty Rentals? Okay, I do agree with the statement and yeah. the thing that you need to remember if you agree with that and you make that part of your sort of winning formula, the sword is sharp on both ends. Mm -hmm. So one bad experience yeah. is still going to get marketed. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I do agree with that statement, word of mouth. Uh, and so that's one of the um, one of the sort of unwritten rules that we had in my business for 45 years was the customer's king. So they need to leave here. I don't, you know, it doesn't matter if they were doing a job that was not desirable. They need to leave here satisfied. And if you do that, 90% of your marketing is done. Mm -hmm. um, if it becomes a way of life, it's amazing. It's infectious. Just like I use the example, um, I had an employee years ago. Hey there. Sorry to interrupt the episode, but I just want to take this chance to tell you to share the podcast on your social media platforms. Link it on your Instagram story. Follow Knowledge is Power underscore Rhode Island on Instagram and leave a review on Apple Podcasts if you're listening on that platform. So thanks for listening, guys, and enjoy the rest of the episode. That 
almost every time a customer left, there was a negative comment to the other employees, not to the customer. And I said, this is spreading like a, an infection. All of a sudden, three guys were, oh, here comes this pain in the neck, mm-hmm. you know? It's just as easy to have a positive experience, and that's just as infectious. So it becomes a feeling of your crew, of your team, that if, if everybody is pushing the same direction, success. I mean, you got you, you now have a sales force instead of a, a counter person. They're actually doing your sales in their job. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's definitely a great statement because, uh, especially in the digital age, like my business is basically a hundred percent online. Like when it comes to, uh, my, my basically perfect scenario of a customer, they email me, they tell me what they want. Like, okay, here's a quote. And they're like, I accept it. They pay me. I print the item, ship it off. That easy. I never have to see them in person, you know, and if they want, I can get on zoom call with them. But like, it's, it's, it's definitely something, uh, word of mouth, I think has its usefulness in my industry. Um, but I don't think it's as prevalent as a rental business or restaurants or something like that. Any retail is not as impactful. No, but I mean, it's definitely there because, uh, manufacturers and prototyping people definitely intermingle with each other and they say, Hey, you know, this guy did a great job, but it's not as, you know, as, as often, or it doesn't happen as much. So if somebody has a good experience with me, they're likely to be with three other couples on Saturday night having dinner Mm -hmm. and will tell exactly eight people in my community. Exactly. That's less likely in your scenario and that's foreign to me i I don't yeah i mean it all depends i mean if the person is passionate like if they have a really cool hobbyist project and they're building a model darth vader and they're telling their friends like oh this guy printed this really cool darth vader for me and it's great you should check him out like sure that that probably will happen to me right but if it's uh some guy that works at uh you know um, Bosch, right? They make windshield wipers right. and they need a little piece. The guy's not going to go home to his wife and say, man, this this yeah. 3D printing company, you know, he was great. He changed he, my life. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, he's not going to, you know, it, it. it's definitely something like that. You know, I mean, I'm sure you did a lot of B2B stuff uh, in yeah. terms of the construction side. No, absolutely, yeah. But, but weddings, like... It's B2B. Yeah. You get the caterer who gives you 30 weddings. That's B2B. Yeah. Okay. So you don't interact with like the... Uh, not as much. Then usually the other business is the contact. Okay. Sometimes they would just refer us. But yeah. A lot of times we did it sort of as a team. Yeah. Um, and coordination is key, right? Everything. Someone who's never been through it before doesn't know that you have to mow the lawn Wednesday because we're going to be here Thursday. I know she's not getting married till Sunday, but I got 18 of these to do this weekend. Yeah. I have to start Thursday. <laughs> yeah. Um, and there's some pretty interesting stories about some of the hoops that we've jumped through uh, for situations like that. But, yeah. Um, do you want to share any of those? Or? Uh, I, one of my favorite ones is um, in Connecticut. Uh, there's, um, there's a facility that rents this castle for events. And um, so Friday night's wedding is very small. They're in the castle, but it's right on the ocean. Saturday night's wedding is hundreds of people. 
tents all over the lawn of the castle and the castles being used. And um, the Saturday night father of the bride goes to the Friday night father of the bride and says, we need to start setting up like Wednesday. And the guy says, absolutely not. My daughter wants to see the ocean. So the answer is no. The only way we pull that job off, and there's some other things that happened there. They started, um, the Saturday night father started offering to pay for Friday night's wedding if you will let us set up early. Mm. And the answer was still no. Wow. My daughter wants what she wants. And so anyway, there were some interesting stories in there. But we had to hire a second company to come in because at 11 o'clock on Friday night was when we started setting tents for a 3 o'clock Saturday afternoon wedding. Huge <laughs> wedding. Dance floor, lights, all kinds of dishes, glasses, linens. Yeah. Um, it, and the two companies got together, partnered. We were typically competition, but we were, most of my competition was friendly competition. We helped each other out. Mm-hmm. On the weekend, you were short tables. I would, we would work back and forth. Um, and that's another big advantage, too. Um, it usually pays more dividends than it costs you. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, we pulled it off. The, we had huge crews in there from 11 Friday night till about 2.30 Saturday. We were wrapping stuff up. It yeah. was really tight. Yeah. Uh, but it went off great. Everybody was happy. But I was astounded at how the lengths that the customers would go to. Like, the Friday night guy was not budging. My daughter wants to see the ocean. And the Saturday night guy was going, yeah, but I'll pay for this. And, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so that's some of the stuff. And, you know, that's that was a tough night. Mm-hmm. That was a tough night. We worked all day Friday. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's no... There's, no breaks. <laughs> right, right. But still rewarding. Still yeah. felt good walking away knowing we got it done. Yeah. So I guess I want to throw you a little bit of a curveball here. I got trouble with my mic right now. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, it's not anything that controversial, but um, ever since I started working with Jeff Hanks, mm-hmm. I've been into cryptocurrencies. Okay. And I'm curious, I mean, I've been getting a lot of people's opinions on this and I'm curious to get yours. I mean, I literally, that's why I've been like looking at my screen. Yeah. But I was, when I was just on with Amy, I have, I had it up and we were talking about it, but I have Dogecoin literally on my monitor right now. And I'm curious to get your opinion on cryptocurrencies and are they better than buying stocks? Are they worse or... So I think the first question I want to know from you is how different is it from buying a stock? Um, well, personally, the only stocks I have are the free stocks Robinhood Gaming when I downloaded it. Yeah. Uh, but from an experience, uh, not non-experienced standpoint, just by looking and scrolling through the app, it looks just as easy. It's literally you put in the amount you want money-wise, right. and then that's what they give you. But what... But what drives the price up or down? Uh, it's all people investing and selling. Based on? Nothing. That's the difference then. Yeah. Right? When you buy General Electric at $52 in 1995, when they were the, in the absolute top three of every industry they were in, mm-hmm. you could almost guarantee, based on their history, that it would double in five years. Yeah. Double and split. Yeah. That was G's mantra, right? They would, you buy it at 50, goes to 100, splits, get twice as many shares, you're down to 50 again. Mm-hmm. 
um, that doesn't sound like the same thing. No. There's no predictability. Yeah. Right? And that's true in some stocks, but it's because there's not the history, right? General Electric was a good example for where you could kind of rely on the history Mm -hmm. predicting future. Yeah. Um, So probably not the same predictability when Microsoft first came to the market, right? Mm-hmm. No, no real history. And is it as, as, um, unpredictable as Bitcoin or Dogecoin, Dogecoin, or as Mark Cuban likes to call it Doja coin for Doja some reason coin. <laughs> <laughs> when he was on Ellen, it's like, Oh, that's not how it's pronounced. <laughs> uh, it, so it, when Microsoft was first introduced, was that as unpredictable as this? Yeah. Probably not. There's, even though it's a new technology, we knew technology was coming and it was sort of new. We just didn't know how far it would go. We didn't know that we'd have one in everybody's pocket. Yeah. Right? Back when they were nailed down to a desk. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. We never, never knew that it would go that far. Yeah. And this thing does, what, a thousand times more than that desktop one? Oh, yeah. Yeah. By far. So... Yeah, I don't have an opinion because I don't know enough about it. Mm-hmm. But the the scary part to me, as much as going into business is risky, there's some predictability, right? If you give a good product and a good experience and you work hard, you probably don't go broke, right? That's the predictability. <laughs> you you probably are successful, but you certainly don't go broke. Mm-hmm. Um, that stocks to me are more predictable in that way than this. And if you really want risk in stocks, what you do is you buy some GEs. GE is not a good example today, but you buy some GEs and you buy some technology stocks that are not as predictable. Mm-hmm. And so you sort of balance your risk that way. It doesn't sound to me, and again, I don't have a lot of experience, but it doesn't sound to me like you have that option here. Yeah. The only thing backing Dogecoin is Elon Musk and Reddit. I don't know if you know Reddit. It's just like a social media platform. Yeah. So. Yeah, and it's it's it's. I think the best way to put it, and people are probably gonna get annoyed or dislike me for it, but it's just a bunch of nerds said, "How can we make money?" Boom. And then, I mean, nerds, but I'm sort of a nerd. So. Yeah. Well, so then yeah. my question to you is, they probably make money. Oh yeah. Well. The thing is, is that the there was there's like a few like Doge millionaires they call them yeah like people who buy it bought it when it first came out and were able to keep their username and password because that's tough when it's changing different platforms and uh, like one guy like it it, it peaked at seventy four cents last weekend when Elon was on uh, SNL yeah and um, then while he was on it it started to plummet. And it was the weirdest thing. Everybody said, oh, it's going to reach a dollar. It's going to get there because Elon's promoting it. And it did the exact opposite. Yeah. So it's like, it's so, it's just so weird. And I just like, I literally, for the past two days, I've had it on my screen just watching it sometimes. Like I'll be clicking because I want it. I think it's going to dip. I think it's going to go back down to like below 20 cents. Yeah. And once it does, I'm going to buy more. Um. So... I think what I started to say was that these nerds, yeah. as you call them, who um, started all this, are probably going to make money. Yeah. Not so probable for you. No. Right. Yeah. Maybe. Well, if I had bought it at less than a cent, 
see that's that's where the percentages and the multiplications get higher because you buy it less than of a course, cent it hits 10 cents you're pretty well off but if you knew you would have bought it at 10 at yeah under well cent. somebody i work with um not jeff but mm-hmm. somebody else bought like 350 dollars when it was worth less than a cent mm-hmm. and it's worth it was worth when it peaked at 74 cents it was worth thirty five thousand right. dollars yeah it's like that's a pretty good return on investment uh and he's still got tens of thousands because it's still sitting at 40 cents pretty right. much yeah um but the, that's a big if it is like like right now it's been on a downward trend since monday right. it's been going down it sat pretty comfortably at 50 48 to 50 cents monday tuesday and then yesterday it literally fell almost 10 cents in a right. day and some people bought it at 50 yeah yeah, and and I bought at twenty seven, and I didn't buy a lot. I bought like two hundred thirty five dollars. Yep. And it's it's like I just like watching it because it's such a small investment. Just seeing like, oh, I got three hundred dollars, you know. But like, I think I need to. You need to have a large investment. I mean, it's just like the risk reward. The higher right. the risk, the higher the reward. Right. It's like when I run my business, the more printers I have, I have to spend more money. I have to spend more things to fix it. But I mean, I can I can. Uh, I can have more jobs going at once. Right. You know, yeah. but I have to yeah. spend the money and I don't know if I'm going to get those jobs, but at least I have the capability to do right. it. And then you need the rest of that formula to keep the machines going. Yeah, yeah. exactly. But I mean, I, 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 it's so weird cause it's just this new thing since I started working with Jeff and it's like, I'm sort of addicted to it, but I don't have the money into it like they do. Right. Because I got in a lot earlier than I did. If I had invested in January, like I'd be a lot better off right now. And it would have yeah, been. Yeah, right. But if. If. Keep, exactly. The saying I always liked I heard years ago was if a bullfrog had wings, he wouldn't bump his butt every time he landed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Stay afloat. Right. Yeah. That's a big if. Yeah. Um, but it's like golf. The, I think probably the most accurate thing you've said today is I'm about to throw you a curveball. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> probably more like a Randy Johnson slider. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You know, but uh, yeah, I just, it's. It's sort of a new thing for me, and I kind of enjoy it. Um, but it, it's it's kind of funny. Well, not funny, but interesting to see all the investment bakers sort of be like, oh, my gosh, like a, a 19-year-old kid can get into stocks and without me. Right. And it's like because. Well, that's been true anyway, right? Yeah. I mean, you can do online trading. And yeah. It's so affordable without, you know, going to a brokerage house. Mm-hmm. Um, and they'll say, well, you're not getting the investment advice, but Google uh, exists. I don't, yeah, you, Google exists. And I don't know if you need investment advice with that one. And you can watch free YouTubers that are pretty yeah. knowledgeable. Yep. Uh, there's this guy called Graham. I can't remember his last name, but he's on YouTube and he talks a lot about the stock market and, and Bitcoin and Dogecoin and stuff like that. And it's really interesting to hear his opinion because he's, He's a millionaire. Yeah. He didn't go to college and he basically just invested in real estate from the point he graduated high school and saved up, bought a duplex, and then there you go. It's the rest is sort of history, but he got lucky. But a lot of hard work. Too. Exactly. Yeah. Like the kids at kid. He didn't just go to closings no. and sign papers. He no. did a lot of hard work. Yeah. Um, but and I think a lot of people miss out on that. Like they think it just happens a lot of things. And it doesn't. No. Um, and I've definitely seen a lot of people who just want things to happen. 
So it's interesting. You just kind of sparked uh, something from the back from years ago. So the 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 flip side of what you just talked about is a hugely successful business and the next generation has not had the experience to keep it successful. Mm. So that's sort of the flip side of that, right? You're talking about somebody who thinks it should just happen. You should just be able to buy that um, Dogecoin. Yeah. And, you know, become instantly better off financially. Mm -hmm. Um, How about the people who are second or third generation who sort of inherit a business, but they don't have the background to, you know, weather a recession. In, In my business, we went through at least five or six of them. Wow. Recessions, economic downturns. So you have to be able to identify, you know, labor needs, uh, equipment purchases. You have to be able to determine, you know, next summer we're looking at it down. We're looking at inflation going out of, out of sight. And so people's disposable income are going to be less. So they're likely not to come to me. I'm not going to go out and buy two Nobacos next spring. Mm-hmm. Right. But you, but that experience gave me, gave me that sort of gut. Yeah. That feeling. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely an interesting thing and nobody is really an expert in this sort of stuff. I mean, they say they are when it comes to crypto and stuff, but well, yeah. and, and the people who say they understand it are making money. Exactly. Yeah. But and they can't really tell you why. <laughs> no, no, because if they did, they give up their secret. But, um, yeah. it's funny. It's because when it hit 74 cents that somebody was live streaming like their doge, like this guy has had, I don't, I don't remember what his initial investment what was his entire life savings at 33 years old. He put yep. it into Doge, which is crazy. Um, Maybe. Yeah, but uh, on the guy on Saturday when it hit 74, 75 cents, his, his, it was worth $2.9 million. So it was worth one and a half by the end of the show on Saturday night. Less than that. Right. Yeah. It was worth one like and a half million. I yeah. Think. Yeah. Three. Yeah. Yeah, 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 and and he lost a million dollars in an hour. Yeah. I mean, that's insane. I mean, I almost think you have to look at it as gambling, not investing, right? A lot of people are saying that. Yeah. Um, and if you're if you're okay losing some of your winnings in investing or mm-hmm. gambling, mm-hmm. I don't think I don't see how you view it any other way. Yeah, you have to be okay losing, you know, winning five hundred bucks and then losing a hundred. Yeah. You have to be okay with that. Yeah. I'm actually curious to get your opinion on this if you want. If you want to give a little bit of financial advice to me. It doesn't sure. have to be. So I've come to the opinion that saving has its place, like saving money in a checking account or something like that, is has its place but is mostly overrated due to inflation. And basically if that money is sitting in a checking account for years – it's losing money. Like it, it's inflation. Yep. It doesn't, it doesn't, you can't see the numbers moving, but that $1,000 is worth a lot less than it was, you know, 10 years ago. Uh, and it's like at 19 years old, um, I can definitely see myself investing a large sum of my money right now into something like, like Dogecoin or mm-hmm. some cryptos because I'm 19. I can afford to lose it. You can, you've got time to recover. Right. So yeah. do you think that that's a reasonable statement to make? I think it's a reasonable statement to make, and it should be a part of a plan. Yeah. Right. So over the years, uh, I didn't leave it just in a bank. 
Mm -hmm. I also invested in the stock market. Mm -hmm. Realized that, you know, at some point you're putting in so much a year toward your retirement. And then some years you get to a certain point where all of a sudden your gains annually surpass what you're putting in annually. So in other words, let's just use round fingers figures. If you're putting in 5,000 a year toward your retirement, you do get to a point where you're still putting in five or 6,000, but you made 12,000 this year in gains. So now you've got $18,000 working for you mm -hmm. new to the market and you only had to take six out of your pocket pocket. Yeah. Um, so it does a couple of things. Um, I think it's key and important to have reserve as much as so in business here's the balance you have to figure out am i better off leaving that ten thousand working and having it to fall back on or buying a new machine that can make me money and so you see so there's the balance that you also have to identify um you know i can make a lot more money with 20 backhoes but if the market will only um if the demand's only for 12, I've got eight machines I've wasted my money on, right? Mm -hmm. um, but the same holds true for your investments. If you, if, and one of the, one of the key things I, I learned, I didn't expect a long economic downturn, but in 07, 08, the economy took a big downturn. Every downturn I had been in before that was 18 months. This one was like eight years. So you saw no real growth. First, the first few years, you saw a real uh, pullback in your ability to, to uh, earn revenue and therefore profit. But 18 months later, I could always count on, we'd start to climb out of it, and then I could do the growth thing again, right? And you've reached the next hump, and um, that didn't happen in 07, 08. Through 15, at least, we saw... Um, first declining ability and then sort of a leveling off. So no growth and no growth isn't good either. Like you just said, a thousand dollars in the bank today, mm. 10 years from now, that thousand dollars doesn't buy me what it used to. So no growth is not as bad as uh, negative growth, but it's not good. Mm. It's not good in business. So I'll use the example. If you work for the government and you get a paycheck every two weeks, you got no risk, right? Very rarely do government workers get either let go or laid off. Even in a downsize, they're usually transferred to somewhere else. But if you're if you're um, in in business, what I found by 2015 is that that cushion I built up helped me stay open and get to the point where I could transition my business um, successfully, right? And by transition, I mean I, I closed and I sold my inventory because it, it was hard. And in retrospect, if somebody had bought my business in five months, they would have had a pandemic. <laughs> um, yeah. And in the construction industry, it seems that that wasn't as impactful. A lot of contractors are oh, still yeah. busy. Oh, yeah. Um, and more busy. Uh, but still, that's that would have been a new wrinkle that nobody had ever seen. Yeah. Right? And if you're brand new to a new business yeah. or, or an old business that you've taken over. Um, but in that transition that allowed me to do that um, and liquidate and be done, right? So if I didn't have those reserves, I don't know if I'd have made it till 15, till 2015. Um, 
When did you leave the business? Uh, 2000, technically 2019. Okay. Yeah. I yeah. still had a few pieces to sell after January of 2020, but not many. Yeah. I, I was essentially closed. So do you think, like, you think if you stayed with the business and you see the construction industry growing and getting bigger and everybody's busy, it seems like every contractor I talk to, they're yeah. just ridiculously busy. Yeah. Do you think you could have transitioned over to just purely rentals for construction companies? Uh, yes. So we had already made that transition. Okay. Uh, three years before I closed, we had transitioned out of the party rental business. Yeah. Right. And then, uh, and I actually called one of the party rental business from East Bay and said, come lease a small s- section in front of my store. Cause there's still demand. But, um, so I had already transitioned out of the event rental business three years earlier, but I was solely in construction and the difference, I think, um, I still was real passionate and enjoyed what I did. But at 65 years old, it's physically harder to do. So it would have needed maybe a new set of eyes, but certainly a new set of a new body to be able to because it's a very physical business. And I did it. I call it dump jumping off dump trucks for 45 years. You get a little shorter every time. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, So. For me, myself, to stay in that business would have been physically challenging. Yeah. But a new set of eyes, a fresh body to jump off that dump truck. Yeah. Uh, somebody, and I tried to market it to a few people. Um, it's not an inexpensive business to get in. Yeah. Because inventory is so expensive. I mean, yeah. when I was in the event rental business, one tent that I would buy was 60 by 90. So 5,400 square foot tent back in 2005 was $65,000. Oh my God. (laughs) Now you need a crew of eight or 10 people to set it up and maintain it and keep it clean and store it. And so it's not an inexpensive business to be in. It was a very successful business over the years. Yeah. I would have never guessed the 10. Oh my God. But think about 5,400 square feet. Yeah. 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 You know, three times the size of a lot of houses. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah. you can do a wedding for 300 people under there. Yeah. Return on investment. Right. And yeah. it's, it's, I right. guess it's that easy, but it isn't. But it, it isn't. Is. And that yeah. business is very labor intensive. That's the other thing about the event industry. It's very labor intensive. It's, you know, 35 to 40 full-time employees, 9 to 10 months a year. Yeah. 60 hours a week. Yeah. That's a lot of labor. Yeah. I mean, something I've seen in, on the employee side um, of people that have been working, uh, all their lives, like they've worked for somebody their whole life straight out of high school, essentially, or even during, um, they've always said, uh, the, of the owner of the company, they always said, oh, this guy takes all the money. He doesn't work for it and all that stuff about the employee. No, the employee says that the the employer. Yeah. About the employer. And it's, and it's funny because it's like, I guess you get what you pay for on the employer side. Like if you want good employees, you pay more. And sometimes it's not the money. Yeah. Sometimes it's how they're treated. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And um, I definitely, it's like, I'm not going to say where, but I've, yep. I've, and these are guys that, you know, I'm still friendly with, but they say it. And it's like, really, dude, if you feel that way, go work somewhere else. Go work it, for yourself. Exactly. And it's, it's like this person who built up, this company worked his tail off 
for a long time and still does. And, you know, you don't understand that when uh, you deliver this service and it's a thousand dollars, you're like, wow, he just made a thousand dollars on that. It's like, no, no, no. He had to pay you. He had to pay to fix that particular item. He had to pay for the gas to get to there. He had to pay for a truck to get there. And you'd think that he just made $1,000 automatically. Now let's talk about his workers' comp, exactly. his liability insurance, his unemployment insurance. Yep. Um, all of the things that employers pay yep. that nobody nobody who works for them sees. So I had an interesting dynamic with my managers. They understood the expense side of my business. I didn't hide anything. I would tell them the year we made two, we grossed $2 million. But I'll tell you, that is not the year I made the most money. Yeah. That's my highest grossing year, but it's not the year I made the most money because of expenses. Yeah. Okay. So, but my managers knew, here's what we're grossing, but here's what we have to make to make a profit. Here's what the expense bottom line is. And so, yeah, some years we blew by what we needed to. And and in my business, we then invested in either more people or more equipment or both. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think most employees get it. Yeah. Um, I think the employees that don't get it. So I said to you in the beginning, uh, something about, you know, $25,000 for payroll by Wednesday. Nobody on your payroll is laying awake Sunday night figuring out how to get that. Yeah. Yeah. And some of it is for work you've already done. So if you've got a hundred thousand dollars in receivables out, your job Monday morning is to collect some of that money that's owed to you. Yeah. So I shouldn't say nobody. Some managers would think about that. But the rank and file, they just know on Wednesday that there's going to be a paycheck there. They don't know that you were $6,000 short two days ago. Yeah. Right? So there's that. There's, you know, the, the uh, you know, insurance audit. So you pay thousands of dollars in liability insurance. Then they come in at the end of the year and they audit you and they go, yeah, well, it's based on revenue and you made more money, so you owe us more money. Like, I already, I already did the work for that. Mm-hmm. I already got paid for that. Where do I get this extra money I owe you? I have to go make some more. So if employees, if those employees that you're talking about understood all that, they would get it. But how can they? How can they understand? Yeah, that? I think I think the best way to put it is it all depends on the industry you're in, and the it, empo- and the people you're working for you. Yeah, and there's a lot to be said for uh, money. Certainly, is a motivator. But treating people well hmm. is as motivating. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it, it it that's definitely true. But I don't know why I just thought of this. But I can't remember who it was. But somebody said that the person that came up, the customer was always right. Was definitely a customer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But ultimately, so actually, I have a couple of articles that I cut out twenty five years ago at least, and hung them in the office for everybody to see. The first one was, and it was out of a rental trade magazine. Um, the customer is always right. And it was a one page article explaining how pretty much what you just said, a customer Mm -hmm. came up with this mantra. It's not always true and blah, blah, blah. The next month that rental magazine came out, the same guy wrote an article. Of course, the customer is always right. Mm -hmm. And it went on to say, because their perception is the only thing that's going to bring them back and they'll bring more people to you. So we, we had an interesting policy at my store. So I rented mechanical things, and they would break. Mm-hmm. And so a customer would come back with a rotary hammer, 
didn't get the job done. The thing broke down in the middle of the job. Not his fault, not my fault. Things break, right? So um, we would offer the customer another tool and extra time to go finish. And sometimes they would say, I did the rest of it by hand. I had a sledgehammer. I broke the rest of the concrete by hand. And we'd say, okay, you'll never go in another store like this. What's the adjustment? It has to be fair to you. So, you, And most customers did, want, did not want to pick it. They just paid me $80 to rent a tool. They got three quarters of the job done, and they were afraid to ask me for $20 back. Now, in every other business you go in, the retailer or the merchant picks the settlement. And I always made them, and my, my counter staff knew, they have to pick. And if a guy said to me, I want all my money back, we'd give him all his money back. Now, he couldn't do that three times. Yeah. Because that's a sham. <laughs> yeah. Right? But most people want to be fair to you. They understand that you didn't give them a tool that was broken. It worked for more than half the job. So yeah. uh, it was an unusual way of, and I know I heard back from other people that, hey, so-and-so told me that he brought you back, brought back to you a log splitter that didn't finish the job. And you let him pick how much money he got back. <laughs> so it was a marketing tool. Yeah. And it, I mean, frankly, in some cases, they asked for less than I would have offered. <laughs> wow. Well, that, there's that word of mouth right. right there for you. Right. You know, it, it's crazy. But we gave them the opportunity to do it by having that policy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, I guess I think it almost time to wrap it up, but I always end with this one question. Uh, and it does say it on the sheet. So... If you wanted to be remembered for one line or one quote or advice, what would that be? Well, this isn't going to be it, but it's one I use a lot. And that if the room is full of crap, there's a pony in there somewhere. So look for the pony. Mm -hmm. And that's sort of the way I've always lived. Like, even, you know, even though I loved what I did, there were days that were not great, right? That three things in a row didn't go right. Um, but that didn't, no matter what happened, that didn't keep me um, down or negative. There was, um, I just don't have room for negativity. And I think regardless, again, if you love what you do, right, it's not work. Um, but if, but if you approach, especially work or business, like, um, no matter what happens that might be negative, there's something positive right around the corner. And so, so don't let it affect you. Don't let the negative stuff affect you. It's going to happen. It's, it's uh, mostly unintentional and it's not uh, something you can control. But if 90% is good, if 95% is good, who wouldn't want to be that, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. If 95% of your day is you're feeling good about what you do, whether you're helping somebody, providing a service, providing a product, um, and you can do it and make people happy with what you've done. That's success. I mean, you, you've, you've made your life happy, and if they're referring you, you know they're happy with you. Very nice. Well, 
appreciate you coming on and it's been a great conversation and I know you're very busy. So thanks for taking time out of your day for coming by. Thank you. It was um, a pleasure. And I'm, and I'm glad I got to you know talk to you more because I've heard so many great things about you. Uh, Some people are just not good judges. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so thanks for coming on. Great. And uh, if anybody is interested in coming on the podcast or has any questions uh, that they want me to ask, my uh, guests email me at knowledgespowerra at gmail.com. So thanks, guys, and I'll catch you in the next one. And uh, the Yankees suck. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs>